0: Hear us through your AirPods or see us on your laptop. How about meeting us in real life? Because we're taking queer money on the road this summer and fall. Visit queermoneypodcast.com forward slash tour or the link in your podcast player to find out when we'll be in your neighborhood. Once upon a time in a land not so far away called ESG Investing, the fairy godmother of the East made you sleep better because your investments didn't harm the environment, exploit people or make puppies cry. But the Wicked Witch of the
1: West haunted your dreams like Freddy Krueger with low stock market returns and fears of retirement insecurity.
0: And then you woke. And now you're listening to Queer Money, episode 440. And today we're talking with the co-founders of Till Investors and co-authors of the upcoming book, Sustainable Investing, an ESG starter kit for everyday investors, Kyle Lane Purcell and Ben Vivari to talk about the evolution and value of value-based investing and how those low returns are now nightmares of yore.
1: Kyle and Ben have spent their careers in financial services and are on a mission to spread the value of financial, environmental, social, and corporate governance returns to the masses.
0: Ben and Kyle join us today to help lead us into the future of investing. So let's get on with the show. You're listening to the Queer Money Podcast, personal finance with a rainbow twist. Queer Money is dedicated to financial independence, financial well-being,
1: investing knowledge, and the intersection of all things money as an LGBTQ person. Queer Money is made possible by Capital One. Capital One believes that financial well-being includes your mental, physical, and financial health. Check out CapitalOne.com today. Welcome, Kylan and Ben, to the Queer Money Podcast. We're looking forward to this media discussion with you two today.
2: Thanks for having us.
1: Thank you. Of course. And for our audience, Kyle Lane goes by Kyle for her closer friends. And we feel like we're friends with Kyle Lane right now. So going forward, we will call her Kyle. (laughs) Bring it on. (laughs) So here we go. So ESG investing was first ridiculed when it came onto the scene because it would offer low yields to people. And now it's getting ridiculed because apparently it votes Democrat. Why can't ESG investing Like ever like find its niche and really win the day. What's the struggle there?
0: Catch a break.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's a great question. And and it's a question that's on the minds of a lot of people. I mean, the the truth is that as much interest as there is in this style of sustainable investing, there's so I mean, it doesn't take much from our more conservative friends to kind of spook a lot of people into saying, oh, well, maybe we shouldn't be doing that. And you know there's such a long history in the financial field and i i've been doing content and communications work in the financial industry for a, a real long time i know i know you can't tell but i've been doing this <laughs> for like 30 years and there's an intentionality about it you know there's a lot of financial investment oriented people they they don't want people to really know all the details. They want it to sound complicated. They wanna, they want the really big money people to really be in charge of how money is used, right? So, but I, I think the most important takeaway from all of that is that whatever feedback or negative blowback is happening related to ESG, it's not coming from the business world. It's not coming from the investment world. It's coming from cultural warriors and politicians. And I think that's, that's a really important point to make because if you look at businesses themselves, businesses are very interested. This is about having access to better information you know esg is measurements it's data about sources of risk and to identify business practices that do more harm than good in the long run businesses want that data investors want that data so if you talk to the business world they are all in on this stuff it's just that political culture warrior world that it's not where it's not happening
1: so you're saying there's not really any validity to the polarization of ESG investing that the yields are there or have started to become there, and maybe this should be something that people should consider more.
3: Oh, I, I definitely agree with that, that. There have been thousands of studies now on ESG, and it's there have been so many because there's such a, you know, such a. Uh, sort of re- entrenched view that oh you know caring about people and caring about social issues can't possibly make decent money. But it turns out that if you actually, it's all that's all anecdotal belief by people who don't want that to be true. If you actually look at data, and uh, there was a good meta-analysis that we cite all the time from NYU Stern, from I think it was two thousand or twenty twenty or. 2020 or yeah, I can't remember. Something like that. I think it was 2020. They looked at thousands of different studies that have been done about performance of ESG type investments, and they perform as well as or better than other types of investments, traditional investments. And I think the finding I found really interesting was that the longer a period you look at, the better the performance of ESG is. Oh. And if you're a long-term investor, which everybody is. This is, this is a performance advantage that everyone should know about. Everyone should be free to take advantage
0: of. That is interesting. Two things there. I, I do like that you pointed out that the blowback really is coming from a very small group of people, politicians Correct. and individuals on the right, very far right side of the yeah. religious social spectrum. And whenever we see attention coming from either ends of the spectrum, oftentimes it's sensationalized, right? So we need to understand, is there truth in what they're saying, or are they doing this for some sort of attention or to appeal to a small group of people? in some cases, very vocal and powerful people that will go spread the the word. I do like that the, you, you point out this idea that ESG investing is better for the long term. I think back when I first started thinking about or hearing about, especially I think the environmental side of investing, we were looking at a lot of small startup companies that we're struggling to get a foothold and there wasn't a lot of appetite for making lots of big changes, but now there is that appetite, right? We see in countries like Germany where 50% or more of their energy is coming from renewable resources, the companies that are involved in creating renewable energy are exploding because of that. So we do have to look at the data. If we're a smart investor, we have to look at the data. If we're an emotional investor, then it doesn't really matter, right? And mm-hmm. it, so th- then we do need to be looking at the data if we want to make the right decisions for our finances as well as our financial future.
3: Yeah, it's worth remembering that, like what you're citing is, is absolutely true. It's now, you know, it, it all changes day to day, but it's now cost effective for businesses to switch to renewables rather than use fossil fuel and you know like i say that may change moment to moment but the the larger point is that renewables are not more expensive or more problematic that you know they have their own issues but whatever but every time there's a winner in a game like that there's there's a loser so if companies are Drawn toward, hey, we can, we can open the door to renewables now. That means that the demand for traditional fossil fuels is going to go down. And the, it just so happens that the traditional industries are the ones that have quite a lot of money. So they're very motivated right. to be out there and trying to stall this progress as much as possible. I think it's one reason why it's, it's happening a little faster in Europe than it is here, because in Europe, there's a little bit more regulatory Limitation around these companies trying to basically put put their money toward these sort of political efforts.
1: There's a danger when the luddites have all the money. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so there's there must be a marketing problem though for ESG investing, ESG funds, right? Because as we talked about before, the sh- we started recording, we're going to be interviewing Carrie Schiffman from UBS in a couple of weeks, and they just came out with a study that showed that seventy nine percent of women say that ESG investing is appealing to them, and three out of f- every four expect The same returns with ESG investing as they do with traditional investments, but less than half of those same women are actually investing in those types of funds. So what's the disconnect there, and how can we bridge that gap? Maybe, I don't know, publish a book about Starting ESG investing?
2: <laughs> Boy, if only somebody would. I'll have to make a note about that. Yeah. So there is this huge disconnect between, it's fascinating, you know, everybody wants to invest sustainably. Nobody invests sustainably. And I think there are a lot of different reasons for that. I, I mean, I think that, you know, when you think emotionally about your investments, right, the first thing you want to do is you want to be safe, right? And doing anything that isn't the mainstream normal path that everybody is doing feels a little less safe. And your financial advisor is going to tell you that's not really all that safe. Right. And so you have to sort of make this mental leap to say, you know what, I am a smart person and I can look at these numbers and I can decide for myself that this is where I want to put my money. Right. And you know one of the things that the the industry talks about right now the esg sort of industry trade group talks about is this concept of tracking error yes your returns are going to be different than the plain vanilla just buy me the whole index index right but we're not going to tell you that they're going to be necessarily better or worse they're going to be different and if you're okay with that difference then great let's find you some funds that align with your values but that's not the message that they're getting from their financial advisors most of the time most of the time the advisors are telling them "Uh, it's not as safe it's it might be a little bit more expensive in fees which is true and that's another hurdle right and so for people who have for their whole lives been told that they're not the experts in investing right? Put your money in this fund and don't look at it. Don't touch it. Don't think about it. It's a hurdle to say, well, look at it, think about it, maybe touch it, right? And so that's sort of what we're out here doing is trying to give people sort of the self-confidence to say, no, there's not a wizard financial mastermind out here behind all the investments that has all the better data than you do. It's okay to have an opinion and you know align your money with what you care about
0: just a kind of based on what you just said, it almost sounds to me like there's a possibility that advisors or maybe investors are just lazy.
2: Mm-hmm. i
0: don't I don't <laughs> want to take the time to have to learn something new to tell my clients that this could work for them. So mm-hmm. instead, I'll just say that's scary. We don't want to do that, right? It kind of—it's so. You know, you
3: know. I don't think I would have put it exactly that
0: way, but that's (laughs) basically what I would have. We don't have to be PC. PC You might have to be. Yeah, (laughs) it it is. It is kind of. In some ways, it kind of parallels being queer, right? Mm -hmm. People once they get to know other queer people, they're like, "Oh, they're just people too, and -hmm. they have the same wants and concerns and needs and desires just like me." But I am a wizard. (laughs) I know you <laughs> um, and I think that, you know, kind of the, that <laughs> we need to say, okay, let's pull the covers back or the curtain back, not the covers, but let's pull the curtain back on ESGs for more people. And that's probably what your, your impetus in doing this is, right?
2: Yeah. And so, you know, we've been on a bit of a journey here, you know, because our, in our day jobs, quote unquote, we worked with a lot of asset managers, right? The people who are running the funds and were like, oh, we're going to help them so much with how you know, how they talk about this. And they were just not ready to talk about it. So then we said, OK, we're going to go to the advisors. They are going to be the ones who are really going to want to capitalize on it. And like you said, I mean, it's just they see it as a job. They see it as another thing that they have to do. They're not going to get any more money out of it, right? And it's, just, it's a lot of work. There's a lot of nuance. There's a lot of different funds that do a lot of different things, a lot of different ways. And for advisors, it's so much easier to just say,
0: eh,
2: eh, it's not that safe. Why don't we just, just trust me? I'm your advisor. Let's put you in this fund that I put all my other people in and let's move on with our day.
1: Capital One strives to inspire a better financial path for everyone, including the LGBTQ plus community through access to credit tools to manage debt and product features. Digital products such as CreditWise and Eno are designed to take the stress out of money by helping you manage credit, a key source of potential stress and stay on top of spending without worrying all the time. Sign up for CreditWise for free today.
3: Sustainable investing is a different concept about how to think about your money and what you do with it. You know, it's not just like put your money into a business so you can extract value out of it. It's about put your money behind people that you believe are responsible and considerate in the way that they balance the needs of their various constituencies, their shareholders and their employees and their communities, right? It's a different way of thinking about What money is for. I think people sense that and they're, that's appealing to them, but they don't really understand it all. So, you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of space in here to try to, to help get people through that understanding to, you know, yes, you, you know, you can, in fact, use your money to support businesses that you think are better businesses that fit your values better without it being a ridiculous or foolish thing to do, you know, but people
0: need some proof points on that. It would seem to me, if you're a forward-thinking advisor, one that's not at the end of your career, if you're a forward-thinking advisor and you see what's going on, you know that there's going to be this massive wealth transfer, from one from men to women, and then from generation to generation. And you look at what's happening with millennials, some Gen Xers even some baby boomers who are now saying, I don't want to work for this company anymore because that doesn't align with my values. The more and more and more people are making decisions, a pandemic really pointed this out, more and more people are making decisions about what they do with their careers, with their money, with where they live, more and more are doing it based on how it aligns with their values. Why wouldn't you? (laughs) Why wouldn't you want to have this as, for lack of a better way of saying it, a quiver in your whatever yeah. that thing is,
1: yeah, an arrow in your quiver, arrow in your the quiver,
0: your quiver. You. right? <laughs> uh, you could have another quiver back two, there. You, you know,
1: <laughs> when, when two quivers is better than one. That's right.
0: <laughs> <laughs> when you when when you have this wealth transfer, you can ask these questions of these potential. Individuals who would say, I'm gonna take the money elsewhere and say, okay, what are your values? How can we align the investing that you're you're inheriting? How can we align this with your values? I, I think
1: the, the the challenge is in what you just said. Unless you're at the end of your career, this might be an opportunity for you as a younger investor or investment professional. What eighty some percent of the financial advisors are gonna retire in the next like fail, twenty fail. to thirty years, right? Mm-hmm. They're all stale, male, and pale. Right. They have yeah. no motivation to learn something new and to share that with their clients. So maybe that's, maybe that's the problem. I, mean, I, I guess we'll throw that out to you. Is that, is that the challenge that you're seeing with the marketing of ESGs or is there some other dynamic at play?
2: Well, I would say first, there are advisors out there that do encourage sustainable investing. They're harder to find. There are a couple of networks out there that you can go and, you know, I'm not going to, you know, endorse any of them. Right. But they are out there and they can be found. and It just takes a little bit of work. But also, you know, these the stale mail, and pale are also very entrenched. Right. And, you know, this wealth transfer that's happening, they are managing it right? So their money, the old white guy dies, right? And his money goes to either his wife or his children, whoever it is. And the first person that his wife and children talk to is his old white financial advisor, right? And he's the expert and he knows what to do and he knows how to do things. And it can be a little intimidating, right? Mm -hmm. To say, sorry, guy that my dad trusted for 40 years, I'm going to go in a different direction right that's i mean that's you know when we go back to the talking about emotions of investing right it takes some balls to to say that to a to a financial advisor right a trusted family resource
1: why should investors invest with their values rather than investing for the yields with the traditional style of investing, and then buying based on their values, such as you know whether or not I'm going to actually buy Bud Light or shop at Target, or why don't I just worry about that at the local level and let my yields stick with what the traditional returns are?
3: Yeah, I think that's a really good question. And I think it's a question a lot of people ask. In our book that's coming out in October, we we talk about a concept called the ladder of impact. And the idea is that, you know, rebuilding the way that you think about money and the way that you use money is kind of like a stepwise approach. So there's no reason that you kind of can't do both, especially when you consider that, you know, there's no financial penalty. There's no obvious financial penalty that comes from ESG investing. So, you know, When you think about the ladder of impact, you you can start with the concept of like boycotting, which is a great step to take to express your values. It's accessible; anybody can do it. It sends a very clear message, and it's also very targeted to very specific reactions to things. You know, like you cannot buy Bud Light because of the way that you know Dylan Mulvaney was treated. Right? That that's legitimate, and it's very specific. It's it's reacting to something very specific. Investing is less specific. It's bigger picture, but it's also taking that expression of your values to the next level. Most ESG funds, even though there aren't a lot of LGBTQ plus funds out there, most funds that are looking at ESG information, they're looking at inclusive practices in the way that companies hire, the way that they promote, the way that they lead and the way that they interact with their communities, uh, they're looking for transparency, and diversity, and other measures like legitimate measures. So, if you're investing in those types of companies, you're advancing that the concepts, the the, the concept of your values at a much higher level. It's a it's a bigger picture, longer term kind of thing, but. It's a very powerful kind of thing because at the end of the day if you don't buy Bud Light, that's you know a couple of bucks off of you know their their profit but off of their bottom line. But if you don't invest and if a larger community of people doesn't invest, their key source of funding is cut off.
1: So that raises a question it does seem to be a sort of an attack on that that diversity and inclusion. Initiative and that for the LGBT community has been something that's been very important for employment, where we actually do our, our shopping, but also with our investing strategy. So, when you're considering ESG investing, how are ESG funds considering companies such as those being attacked for their diversity and inclusion efforts, such as Disney and Movie. Apparently, Chick Fil A. Now you can't can eat Chick Fil A. Nobody can eat a Chick Fil A.
2: Nobody.
0: <laughs> <laughs> but the it's good line for the chickens <laughs> endlessly long at the Chick Fil A. Near us. <laughs>
2: so, are, so, are
1: are USG funds con- considering all this controversy and, and 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 attacking accordingly?
2: Yeah. So you know. Uh, there's a lot of different ways to look at it but for my money the you know best organization out there that is taking a holistic view of companies and their lgbtq practices is you know one of you guys are very familiar with the human rights campaign right and their corporate equality index and i think it's really useful to sort of look at well how do they how do they what are the questions that they ask right they send this survey out to thousands of companies 1,200 companies responded. It's about three-quarters of the Fortune 500 responded. And what they ask is, you know, do you have workforce protections? Do you have a policy that includes protections for sexual orientation, right? You know, one that I think is really interesting is, you know, do you provide inclusive benefits? So, is there equivalency in the benefits you provide for same-sex and different-sex spousal and domestic partners' benefits, right? That's really interesting. You know, do you provide health coverage for transgender individuals, right, and things that they might need? And then also things like, do you have, you know, like a employee group? Do you have internal training on LGBTQ issues? You know, all these different things. And so... When I'm out there looking for well, what companies are really, you know, good in, in these areas, the human rights campaign is the probably the best place to look. And, you know, when we talk about, you know, the three big, you know, hot button companies right now are Target and Disney and Anheuser Busch, right? The parent company of Bud Light. And, you know, Target and Disney, not only do they get a hundred out of a hundred from the human rights campaign, but they're also sponsors. Right. So that's another way that they're showing you, yeah, we care about this stuff. Not only are we running ourselves in a way that is really positive according to human rights campaign, but we're gonna we're gonna provide money to help them do their thing. Right. Because companies that don't respond to their survey, human rights campaign is gonna go out there and do the research themselves and figure it out so they can call them out. Right. So Target, Disney, they're providing money to help do that sort of stuff. Anheuser Busch got a hundred out of a hundred, but after the Bud Light incident. Even the human rights campaign didn't know what to do. They took them out of the index. They said, "We're going to pull you guys out. We're, maybe you got a hundred, but we, this doesn't feel right to us, right?" And so they said they've given anheuser Bush, I think it's like three months or something to respond. They haven't responded yet, but you know, it, it just goes to show you, you know, even the experts, quote unquote, the human rights campaign, it's tricky to sort of figure this out and, and figure out how you want to, you know, weigh all these different things.
1: Interesting. I didn't know that about HRC and anheuser Bush's current yep. dialogue. That's uh, mm-hmm. that's news to me. Do you know how long ago they broached them with that?
2: I think it was less than three months ago because they gave them three months to respond. I'd have to go back and look at the no. timing of when everything happened. But it was there was a big, huge article, I think, in CNN all about you know how the HRC is responding to this because it was a yeah. big deal.
0: I didn't see that. They'll probably respond on the very last day, right? <laughs> Give their lawyers yes. every single minute of time to craft the right message. (laughs) Whatever
2: they say, conservatives are going to be furious. Right. No (laughs) matter what they say. Yes. Yes. This is a a no-win situation for them. But is it though? If
1: the future of investing is sustainable investing and being good corporate citizens and all that, and we know that sort of, you know, the younger generations are more LGBTQ and LGBTQ friendly than the older generations, is Anheuser Busch focused on the here and now and the bottom line, and of course they probably are because it's all, all about the shareholder value from quarter to quarter, right? All we care about is the, the next quarter, but is that, just, is that more short-sighted than, than they should be rather than looking for the long-term of who are our consumers gonna be in 10, 20 years?
2: Well, then and so I'll point you to what Kyle said at the beginning of our discussion, right? The longer term you go, the better ESG does. And this is a great example. You know, you're right to question me in saying that this is a no-win situation for them because I'm thinking of the news cycle. This is a no-win news cycle for them. Right. But if they have their eyes on the prize on or where are we going to be in 10, 15, 20 years, then yeah, there's a win here if they're strong enough to take it.
3: Yeah, Yeah, I would just point out that I had a conversation a while ago with a with an old colleague who is now working in the Chicago area doing sort of a, like a foundation that is trying to help sustainable businesses in that in that city kind of find funding and thrive. And I asked him like they're relying on other people to provide them with funding. And I said, you know, this is kind of a hot issue right now because it was the covid times, but do you think that the interest in this will last. And his answer was that yes, because all of these companies are in this bind where yes, their leadership is stale, male and pale. I mean, that is pretty generally true, but the employee base is not. The employee base in these companies, which is at this point, up through middle management. They're all millennials, they're all Gen Z, they're a much, much more diverse sort of cohort of people. They're much more interested in these concerns. They are asking very tough questions of their management and they're quitting if they're not getting good answers. I mean, these are not little things that are happening. These are pretty big, substantial trends. And if you're a large company of any kind, your your ability to be successful in the long term very much depends on your ability to understand these questions, answer them accurately, and respond in a way that your own employees who know you the best are are paying attention to and and are looking for. So, you know, it it does sort of seem to me that the old guard that's sort of in charge or on the board, they're gonna look at that news cycle and they're gonna freak out, right? But if you're anywhere in sort of middle management or below, you know that the long term game is something very different, right? So there's going to be change. It's kind of inevitable.
1: So I want to play devil's advocate though, because I want to make sure that we're not being naive here. I like what you said, and I tend to agree with what you said, but there does seem to be a very loud minority on the other side of the spectrum. The leader right now seems to be Ron DeSantis, who wants to take away all the DEI efforts. Slavery was actually great for everybody, especially Black people. <laughs> if those... And, and they're... He's he's doing that because a, p- a percentage of his followers, maybe not necessarily as large as he would like, but a percentage of his followers want that. I just saw an article th- earlier today that Doug Mastriano is running for something. I don't know what he's running for, but and you know, he could be even crazier than 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 DeSantis. Are we being a little bit naive thinking that history will play in our favor socially as well as? Stock performance-wise, or do we think that, that that loud pushback from the DeSantis of the world is going to get even bigger and take away all this?
3: Yeah, I don't think we're being naive. And the reason I say that is that when Microsoft puts multiple billions of dollars into trying to become a net zero company and puts and their CEO is putting out, you know, annual reports to describe their their progress on that in extensive detail and is working very hard to develop data to sort of show what they're doing. They're not doing that because, you know, the CEO of Microsoft is woke, right? <laughs> you know That's not what's motivating that. What's motivating him is, is real business concerns, costs, risks, real stuff. And Microsoft has a much greater impact on your and my everyday life than Ron DeSantis does. So I don't want to minimize. The news would tell me otherwise. Yeah. Well, the news, you know, the news, news people aren't all that interested in like money stuff either. So you know. politics is way more exciting.
2: Yeah. yeah, so I, don't yeah. Want to,
3: I don't want to minimize it. I just don't think that it's long term. I don't think it
2: can stick. When you said that, What I thought back to in my mind that I had to look it up here real quick was the Martin Luther King quote that Obama used, which says, the arc of the moral universe is long, but it bends toward justice, right? And, you know, if you believe in that, and I hope that people do, right, that ultimately something good is going to happen, and you're investing for that long universe, right, then it makes sense to invest in a way that is, that you have some hope. the world right that that you know yeah these culture wars are happening but in the end the good guys are going to win right and the other thing that i would say to that is that is exactly why you should invest sustainably right because we care about where our society is headed and you know by not investing your money in a way i call it's the unpulled lever right here's the thing that you can do right no you by yourself are not going to change the world but you by yourself still recycle, still buy organic, still do whatever it is, right? This is another way that you can push our society to be what we hope it will be.
1: Yeah, I tend to agree with you. We interviewed Dominic Barton several years ago for a Forbes article. He was,
0: at the time, the CEO CEO of McKinsey. Managing director, I think, is what they call them. You don't I don't know. He, had...
1: he was higher up than I ever got. And <laughs> he, he said, if any, any leader who cares about bottom line growth needs to also care about diversity inclusion because the two go hand in hand Mm -hmm. i would guess that not that's not just diversity inclusion but that's a lot of of the values that maybe esg investments and the companies that make up those investments hold diversity inclusion fair pay the environment and all that right Mm
2: -hmm. go woke or go broke baby <laughs>
1: well, so where does that come from? If, if that's a catchphrase is there some validity to go work or go broke or is it just a big lie like you know Trump won the election?
2: I think it's a lot of scaremongering, right? I think that the industry did itself a tremendous disservice by calling it ESG because that boy, that sounds like a scary three words that are that somebody's conspiring against me. I think we have to be honest with ourselves that, you know, yes, for all of the, well, it's just a risk metric, and oh, it's just looking at financials, and da-da-da-da-da. There theres a kernel of truth to the, well, yes, and we are also trying to, you know, implant our values into this industry right? And I I think we have to be honest with ourselves about that. No, it is not the leading thing, right? No, we're not saying, you know, throw all your money away at the expense of the environment. But there is some, you know, some corners of the ESG world where you know it's it's called impact investing for a reason you're trying to have an impact beyond just what your financial returns are going to be. It's not all of ESG. There are many people out there doing ESG in a way that is purely looking at financials and metrics and risk. But of course you know, the political side is going to look at the most extreme version of this and say, well, that's what everybody's doing. They're all trying to push their woke policies on me. And now I'm a victim and you should think you're a victim too.
3: On the flip side of that, there is a lot of truth to the go woke or go broke concept. There's a lot of truth to that, you know, and that comes from the sense that the you know there's a lot of ways in our country, in our economy, and our regulatory environment to basically fool people into giving you money. There's there's a lot of ways to do that. One of the examples in our book is for-profit colleges, right? You know, it was pretty easy for 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 for-profit colleges to convince people that there was a need for a different model of education and to get people to pay up for that, right? But they offered nothing. So while they were very able to make money on the front end, their business model was completely unsustainable because it actually offered no value to the the customers. It was a completely extractive effort, right? So, you know, there was probably a time in our country's history or our business history or economic history where you could get away with stuff like that because there wasn't the the there wasn't the internet. There wasn't sharing of information. People who were sort of you know, messed over or screwed over by a company weren't, you know, they were, they would keep quiet about it because they were kind of embarrassed by it. Right. But now everyone has outlets, everyone shares that information, the media has access to that. So, you know, it's really a lot harder for those kind of companies to actually succeed. So you, you definitely would not have wanted to invest in one of those for profit colleges because you would have lost all your money.
1: I put all my money in Trump University. <laughs> Did. Now, I'm
0: yeah. <laughs> now I'm a lawyer. That, that today, was a, uh, I can't get uh, to secure documents. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so I have a question that's sort of tangential to what you what you just said there. You know, leading up to to the last Pride season, what are we, twenty twenty three, and Dylan Mulvaney there was all this pushback from the LGBT community about companies that were rainbow washing. And then we sort of saw a lot fewer rainbow logos this year than we had in previous years. And, And it seems like With after some digging around, that companies didn't become less supportive of the LGBT community, but they sort of just tacked their pride support a little bit, probably due to the Dilla Mulvaney and other other controversies that came up. But I'm curious, how can LGBTQ plus supportive investors separate the companies? that are just rainbow washing, that do just create products that have a rainbow logo over them versus those companies that actually are trying to serve the community? Is, are there resources for us to sort of dig in deeper and say, okay, who, okay, these 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 Chuck Taylors with the rainbows on the on the, on the bottom are, are beautiful, but what is actually Chuck Taylor doing for the LGBTQ plus community other than taking my money? I don't even know if Chuck Taylor owns the shoe. Is, oh, it's Converse, right? Converse, yeah. <laughs> yeah.
2: So, you know, I I think the first thing you got to figure out is, well, how do I figure out who is rainbow washing, right? And I'm going to go back to them again, because I think that they're really great. But the human rights campaign, the corporate equality index is a great way, right? So, you know, Target gets 100 out of 100. Costco gets 60 out of 100, because they don't provide medical benefits, right? So I would say, no, don't buy a Kirkland brand rainbow flag, right? That's That's rainbow washing right? And so what you really want to do is go out there and find those companies that are walking the walk and talking the talk. They get the 100 out of 100 on the Corporate Equality Index that sponsor the Corporate Equality Index. There's like 20 companies or something, right? And there are ones that you've heard of and that you know, right? Who's sponsoring Glad? right? Glad is out there. So there are three top-level sponsors of Glad. Do you guys know who they are? One okay, is Gilead, okay. Gilead a bi- biopharmaceutical company, and they also partnered with Glad to do HIV awareness campaigns to raise awareness of other issues that were disproportionately affecting LGBTQ. The second one is Procter & Gamble, right? And not only are they a top-level sponsor, but they also did a big study on how to get more LGBTQ representation in ads because they're one of the biggest ad you know, makers in the, in the world. So that was really relevant. And the third one, and I cannot figure this out for the life of me is kettle one. Kettle one is the number is number three. So, <laughs> you know, I don't always drink vodka, but when I do, I'll order a kettle one. <laughs> right. And and so, but it's looking at those sorts of things. Look down that list of sponsors, look down that list of the corporate equality index. There are companies that you know, that you've heard of, that you choose to either engage with or not engage with. That's to me, more important than the rainbow sticker on your window right and it's something that is very hard for anti lgbtq people to come out with without looking without exposing themselves as being the bigots that they are right and so that's that's where i would say go look right and those are the companies that you can either invest in that you can purchase products from right that's you know vote with your money that's what we're talking about.
1: Ben keeps wanting us to do work. Yeah. Well, that's, what I was just, that, that's <laughs> honestly that's what I was just I want you to say. drink
0: vodka. That's what I want <laughs> you to do. Well, what I was just going to say is you have people on the extreme right who blindly make these comments and statements and say this is fact without actually understanding the the truth about the matter. Mm-hmm. There is the possibility that it's happening on in our community as well, people out there screaming these companies are rainbow washing these companies are rainbow washing and an example of this is John and I went to the Out and Equal conference last year in mm-hmm. Las Vegas. We walked in and at the entrance where you check in is the list is a giant sign with all the logos of all the sponsors, and literally hundreds of companies that were sponsoring this, and John and I are looking at some of these logos and we're like. No way. I never would have expected this company to be here supporting this. And I think that one of the things that that does for us or requires of us in the community is that if we don't want to be copies of people who are on the extreme right spouting untruths about companies, about politics, about people... We also have to do our work. We have to do our work and say, okay, right, these companies, and and maybe even more so today after what we did see happen with Target and, uh, and Bud Light and Disney, is that companies are being a little more selective in the way that they give and the way that they work with the community so that they do it in a way that it's not going to cause the PR nightmare that these things are happening, which that definitely puts the onus on us to say, Mm -hmm. okay, I was shocked. I'm just going to say this. I was 100% shocked to see that one of the top level sponsors of Out and Equal was J.P. Morgan investments and i was just i was blown away because i've always had this perception that j p morgan isn't doing a whole lot for the community and we started digging and we're like wow they are actually at a lot of these major lgbt events but they're not out there screaming it they're not painting a big giant rainbow flag during pride month they're doing it in a in a very strategic way that helps the community that doesn't actually just blaze rainbow washing.
2: They are also one of the sponsors of the human rights campaign, right? So good on them. And if you're going to start investing somewhere and you need a place to go and you're an LGBTQ person, reward that activity, right? Go at least give them a look. Maybe they're the place for you, right? Because I mean, that's the way to get more of it is to reward the ones that are doing a good job. Right. It is not an accident that on the corporate equality index, you know, the number of companies that are getting hundreds has grown exponentially over the last five, ten, fifteen years. Right. It is because they see the value in it. And the way that they really see the value in it is when people like you and me vote with our dollars and say, you know what, JP Morgan, I'm going to open an account with you guys because I saw you, right? I see that what you're doing for the LGBT community and that matters to me.
1: Are there comparable HRC type organizations for other sustainable investing initiatives, such as, you know, the environment, and pollution and all that? Is there other resources that I can go to if I'm, I don't just care about the LGBTQ plus community, but I also care about the environment, children, fair pay and all that?
2: Yeah. Um, So go ahead, Kyle.
3: It's certainly one that we reference quite a lot is as you org. They have something called fossil free funds.org. I think if you have a retirement plan and you've got a fund in your retirement plan, you can go to that site and just enter the name of that fund into, into their little search bar and it'll give you a report about what, what their take is on the investments that are in that particular mutual fund and how they kind of stack up as a in, in terms of you know fossil fuel usage or how they score on that on that front they have multiple different trackers like that i think that's probably the most accessible one that is free for people to use i know advisors have a lot more kind of tools like that So, you know, you can, if you have an advisor and you want to talk to an advisor about it, you can ask them which uses the HRC information for their scores. You know, that's certainly one way to go about it. Ben, do you have other thoughts about that?
2: No, I would say as you sow, S-O-W, as you sow, is a great place to go. They, they even have some gender lens things and, and things along those lines. So that's a good way to sort of look at it from a fund level. From a individual company level, there are a number of different ratings agencies out there. Two free ones that you can use is MSCI provides one. So you can just Google the MSCI ESG screening tool. And through Morningstar, there's Sustainalytics, where you can go in there and you can type in a company name and sort of See what they have to say about the company from a broader ESG perspective.
3: Yeah, nice. if, if you if that. what you want is like a, a a high level overview, we offer these fund manager profiles where we don't talk about individual funds, but we look at companies like you know Vanguard or Impacts and just give you a sense for what their strategies are, what their approaches are.
1: Yeah, I, was, I, was, I saw a commercial yesterday and I was trying to figure out who the the brand was, but there's this this, this man and woman sitting at a coffee table. They both have their coffee and the, the man is supposed to be the financial advisor and the woman is the investor. And she makes some comment to the advisor, how do I, is there a way for me to to take a company out of one of my funds if it doesn't align with my values? And the advisor looks at her and says, I'm not a barista. <laughs>
3: <laughs>
1: <Oopsie>.
0: <laughs>
1: which i love that but so but it, it sounds like ben what you're saying is as or we uh, both said as you so at a fund level could tell me i guess how exposed had you, had you are how
2: exposed you are to fossil fuels to weapons manufacturers to you know alcohol and tobacco companies to whatever it might be
3: and honestly it's kind of fun it's yeah. kind of fun to just yeah. plop a name in there and just be like oh you know, look at that.
2: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So
1: is that, that's mutual funds, ETFs, and yep. does that also do managed, managed accounts or is that a little bit- I, think uh,
3: that the, I don't think that that's necessarily part of their system because okay. managed accounts can be done a little bit differently, but it kind of depends on that account. Like some of those accounts are built off of publicly available funds and right. then you can kind of look at the- Dig deeper. Equivalent more work.
2: Yeah, exactly. I know. More That's profit. the thing. That's the thing that advisors say too, right? It's like, oh, it's another thing to do. It's another- What am I paying you uh, that 1% for? Yeah, exactly.
0: <laughs> I, I'm going to ask a completely kind of off script question here, because I think it's, it, it's something that maybe we need to, we as consumers and, and investors need to think a little bit more about. We oftentimes poke the finger, at fossil fuels, which then turns us in the direction of the oil drillers and those companies. But we don't do kind of the same thing when we think about all of the other products that come from those non-renewable resources, mm-hmm. cosmetics,
2: mm-hmm.
0: the packaging fashion yeah clothing. all of this stuff so if i say if i say is it disingenuous for me to say i'm not going to invest in ExxonMobil because they drill for oil and they're a fossil fuel producer but at the same time i'm okay with using these cosmetics or i'm just going to go to Procter and Gamble because i know a lot of their products are in non-recyclable plastic containers mm-hmm. how how do we balance that or how do we check ourselves and say I'm being genuine in my concern.
2: (laughs) So I can tell you that fund managers who are investing in this way, they absolutely ask those questions, right? So there is something called the, it's, I'm going to get the name wrong, but it's SASB, some sort of accounting standards, sustainability standards board. And they are very focused on what's called materiality. Right, which means is, you know, what you're doing, does it actually matter for your business and does it actually matter for the world? And when they look at cosmetics producers, one of the things that they look at and they ask all these companies to report on is your use of palm oil, right? Because palm oil is one of these things that's really controversial and bad for the environment. They also ask you to report how many of your how much of your packaging is recycled right? Or is recyclable. And so, you know, believe it or not, if you go on the Project Gable website, if you go on of these websites, they're going to have their SASB report. And they're going to say, here's how much palm oil we use, here's how how much of it you went through this different supply chain. Here's how much recyclability, you know, materials we use. And these fund managers can look at that and incorporate that into their evaluation of the company.
3: Yeah. So, you know, one other thing I think you can say about this is that, it's never harmful to raise these questions. Never, ever harmful. Realistically, there is no world where we can snap our fingers and eliminate 100% of fossil fuel related products. That's just not realistic because it's in everything. The only way that that's going to happen is over time and with a consistent demand that we make those changes, Mm -hmm. right? So it is true that today, you know, like I say, I like to think in terms of the ladder of impact, you know, there's a, there's a top rung out there, but the only way that we get to that top rung is to climb the rungs beneath it, right? So the, those rungs look like, well, I'm not going to invest my money here, or I'm going to, you know, I'm going to boycott a product or a company where it's obvious to me that there's a problem you're indiv- i mean you're not required you're an individual investor or a consumer you're a pre- you're not required to understand everything in the world about everything in the world but your voice and your you know your actions and any comments that you put in social media it raises these questions that companies cannot then ignore right they have to do better one thing that That I'm looking for and that I think I'm beginning to see, particularly in Europe, where they're a little bit ahead on this curve than we are, is when companies start competing with one another over being better about answering those kind of questions, right? Like it's, you know, like the moment, but the momentum has to come from the consumer. It has to come from the bottom up. And then at a certain, and these companies, you know, what I like about ESG investing is that you invest with these ESG managers. And then when they go talk to the companies, they have to ask the the questions that you're asking. They need to get answers. And that means that these companies need to have answers and they have to have better answers the next time than they do this time, right? So, you know, it's a long game, but continuing to just express your values and express your concerns is what kind of keeps the wheel turning.
0: I love that, I, I love that too, because, we, we've we've mentioned this whole idea of the work and we're lazy and the advisors are lazy. Okay, this is the person who's going to do the work. Fund managers are going to go do the work yes. for us. So let's, <laughs> let's let the fund managers go do the work for us. But how do 100%. we do that? We have to invest in ESGs, right? If right, yeah. it, it, unless Unless we do that, we're basically saying, I'm going to do all the work myself, and then you better do
2: the work yourself. <laughs> I'm telling you right now do not go look at a SASB report. It is not going to (laughs) be worth your time. All right. (laughs) Pay someone else to do it
1: for you. Or, Or it could help me fall asleep at night maybe? Oh, absolutely. Good, good bedtime reading.
2: <laughs> it, it's melatonin you know, on the page. <laughs> I love it. I feel
1: like we could probably continue this conversation for hours. And unfortunately, mm-hmm. we don't have any vodka here with us, so we probably can't do that. <laughs> so I'd like to wrap up if you're all cool with it. If you mind telling us a little bit about your book that's coming out mid-October, I believe, Till Investors, mm-hmm. Experts in Sustainable Investing.
3: Absolutely love to. Yeah, we're, we're super excited about it. You know, what we are, we're, we're kind of in the same kind of camp as you guys. We are educators, communicators that are really interested in the worlds of investing in sustainable business. And, you know, we, we have a separate business where we do a lot of that kind of content work for different kinds of companies. But, Ben and I are both really interested in trying to close that that gap, that knowledge gap that we talked about earlier. So we kind of felt like, you know, between he and I, we have a lot of knowledge and we're we're very aware of what's sort of going on in behind these these curtains. So we wanted to take it and put it into a book and an easy book a short book you know something that people could absorb pretty quickly and get a really good grounding on like just what the key issues are so we're very very excited you know it's coming out in october and you know we we can't wait to sort of you know tell everybody all about it nice <laughs> awesome.
1: is it more for individual investors or more for those in financial services financial advisors
3: It's for individual investors. And we were pretty intentional about that because honestly, if you talk to the investment world or you talk to big money people, they they already know this stuff. I mean, that's the thing about it. Like, you know, large institutions and wealthy individuals, they're way down the road. They have access to all these tools and information and advisors who respect their wishes and and are finding different ways to, to invest their money that way. But for whatever reason, that knowledge and information has not filtered down. So, you know, that's that's what we're doing here. We're trying to push that information down to a larger audience that can use it. Well,
2: maybe- it's really like you guys said with with your work. We're we're trying to build confidence, right? We're trying to help people feel like, oh yeah, this is a thing I can do. I know it matters. I just need to, you know, have a little bit of self confidence and, and feel like I'm educated enough that I can just make my first. Investment, right? Go into my 401k and find the ESG option and click yes, right? And so, yes, yeah, so that's really who we're who we're after.
0: I also say, you know, to what you were saying, Kyle. Maybe what we need is one of those really big investors or those really big fan, fund managers to tell Ron DeSantis to shut the fuck up. You don't <laughs> know what you're talking about. <laughs> these are think, these are the numbers. <laughs> I think, isn't and that? This is why you're wrong.
1: <laughs> the, the CEO of Disney's been saying that. Why well, I can't. Well,
0: were yeah, but let's yeah. let's
2: go with the the, the de and i or the ESG investing space. <laughs> the the anti ESG thing is such a cell phone. It is unbelievable. They are costing themselves, <laughs> and I'm being serious here, millions and sometimes billions of dollars by saying we're not going to invest with BlackRock because they're blah 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 blah. Right? They're the cheapest, and these company these states are just like I said, an incredible cell phone. Yeah. Yeah. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> well Kyle and Ben
1: thank you so much for joining us we look forward to your book coming out and we look forward to possibly having you back I think we have some other topics we need to dive into
2: awesome we'd love to come back and chat maybe talk again next time <laughs> thank you absolutely
1: <laughs> make sure to check out more ways that Capital One can help you achieve financial well-being at CapitalOne.com that's CapitalOne.com Thank you, Kyle and Ben, for shedding more light on sustainable and ESG investing. Thank you, our listeners and viewers, for joining us for another episode. Here's your Queer Money Takeaway. Look out for Kyle and Ben's book, Sustainable Investing, an ESG Starter Kit for Everyday Investors, coming out mid-October 2023.
0: Then join us this Thursday when we share the most affordable LGBTQ friendly city to live in in Michigan. And next Tuesday when we share the best retirement calculator that we've found from our longtime friend, Lauren Boland. Thank you and have a great week.
1: From Los Angeles, California to Winooski, Vermont, we're taking Queer Money on the road.